Hello, I'm Dwayne Peters with the Lupus Foundation of America, which is the founder and owner of the open access journal Lupus Science and Medicine that is published by BMJ. On this podcast, we will be discussing the manuscript Insight into Intra-Individual Variability Across Neuropsychological Tests and its Association with Cognitive Dysfunction in Patients with Lupus. Our guest is Jennifer He, a master's degree candidate in the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Western Ontario. She is a recipient of the Gina M. Finzi Memorial Summer Student Fellowship from the Lupus Foundation of America. Her advisor is Dr. Zahi Tuma, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Toronto. Jennifer, let's begin by providing an overview of neuropsychiatric lupus, and in particular, cognitive dysfunction, including symptoms, effects, impact, and the prevalence among people with lupus. As we know, SLE is a chronic rheumatic disease that involves multiple organ systems. And so with respect to its effects on the nervous system, the American College of Rheumatology has characterized 19 manifestations, which they defined as the neuropsychiatric SLE syndromes. So cognitive dysfunction is really one of the most common neuropsychiatric SLE manifestations with a prevalence among SLE patients of 38%. And this frequency is really reflected by what our team sees in the clinic. If we were to formally define cognitive dysfunction, we could say that it involves the significant deficient functioning in at least one cognitive domain, the most common deficits being in the domains of attention, memory, executive dysfunction, and psychomotor speed. So how big of a problem is this for patients? Cognitive dysfunction has a major impact in the lives of people with SLE. There is evidence that cognitive dysfunction negatively impacts performance on daily tasks, social activities, and the mental and emotional health of people living with SLE. In a recent systematic review led by Dr. Tuma, we found that the presence of cognitive dysfunction is negatively related to health-related quality of life and social role participation, such as employment status in people with SLE. And then from qualitative studies, being able to listen to the perspectives of people living with SLE in a more unstructured and a less restricted way allows us to hear just how common cognitive dysfunction is, but also how the invisibility of this symptom to society presents an additional challenge of not feeling validated. So we can really appreciate just how big of a problem this is for people living with SLE. Typically, how has cognitive dysfunction been diagnosed in people with SLE? And what has been the history of treatments and management for this condition? The diagnosis of cognitive dysfunction is typically conducted by experts in the field. So we'll have a psychometrist administer a screening test and score the screening test. And then a psychologist will work with them to ensure that the interpretation of the data is valid and then confirm the diagnosis. So with respect to the screening tests, there are two modalities. There are computerized tests like the automated neuropsychological assessment metric tests, which we call the ANAM. And our center has actually published on the validity of the ANAM. And then there are tests that can be administered through telephone interviews. So these are discrete tests that often make up a larger test battery. And they include the ones that we will talk about later, such as the controlled oral word association test and the Hopkins verbal learning test revised. 
But the gold standard for screening cognitive dysfunction in adults with SLE is carried out using the validated American College of Rheumatology Comprehensive Neuropsychological Battery. It is the gold standard, but there is a lot of complexity to it. The battery includes protected tests, such as the discrete ones we have mentioned earlier, that required administration by specialized personnel. And it takes approximately one hour to administer, plus additional time for scoring and interpretation. Specifically, the battery consists of 19 cognitive tests that represent six cognitive domains, including manual motor speed, simple attention and processing speed, visual spatial construction, language processing, learning and memory, and executive functioning. After taking the test, each score on the neuropsychological battery is standardized by age and gender. And from there, we can classify individuals as having cognitive dysfunction or not having cognitive dysfunction according to specific predetermined cutoff points. But the complexity of this screening test is that from the literature, we know that there is inconsistency in the discrete tests that are used from the neuropsychological battery. Instead of using the intended published comprehensive neuropsychological battery, some supplemental tests are often used. And furthermore, the thresholds used to classify the individuals with SLE as having cognitive dysfunction or not varies as well. As for the treatment, currently there is no consistent evidence-based therapy that exists for cognitive dysfunction in those living with SLE. There are ongoing clinical trials that involve psychotherapy and cognitive rehabilitation for those with more severe presentations of cognitive dysfunction. There are also ongoing trials on drugs such as ACE inhibitors that are still ongoing and we are awaiting the results of these trials. Jennifer, can you clarify for our listeners the difference between inconsistency and dispersion? Both inconsistency and dispersion are ways to capture variability of one individual's performance on tests. In other words, how different a person's performance is from one test to another. However, the difference between inconsistency and dispersion is really in which tests are being looked at to compare test performance. To obtain a measure of inconsistency, we capture the variation in performance in a single type of task across multiple assessments. So if I came in to take the same test every week, I could capture inconsistency across all the tests that I've taken. On the other hand, dispersion is a way to capture the variation in performance in multiple different tasks within one assessment. So if I use my last example, it would be as if I went in to do my assessment, but I took many different tests at one visit. And to capture dispersion, I look at the variability among all of these tests that I took at this one point. So essentially the differences lie in whether someone is taking the same test over and over again or different tests, as well as the number of assessment periods. The primary reason why I thought it would be important to look at dispersion is because of the practical advantages that it confers to people living with SLE. As I mentioned before, it takes a long time to take these neuropsychological batteries. Okay, so let's get into the structure and methods. How did you go about constructing and conducting your study? And what did you hope to learn? So our team at the Toronto Lupus program started recruiting participants and collecting data about four years ago. And at this clinic, we have at least two psychometrists meeting patients to conduct these cognitive tests, but we also collect information on disease activity, medications, lab tests, and patient-reported outcomes. The richness of this data really allows us to conduct many different studies. 
I wanted to use this data to address a very important problem for people living with SLE, in particular, the difficulty of screening and therefore diagnosing cognitive dysfunction because of the issues that were previously mentioned. The challenge of a cognitive dysfunction diagnosis due in part to the lack of consensus on how to define cognitive dysfunction according to the test. In the literature, the measurement of dispersion has been explored in many healthy populations, for example, in the context of aging, and also in populations with neurological, psychiatric, and medical conditions. For instance, in the context of Alzheimer's disease, greater dispersion, meaning greater variability between the tests, was found to be associated with an increased likelihood of being classified with Alzheimer's disease, as well as the development of Alzheimer's dementia. Similarly, greater dispersion was found in post-concussive traumatic brain injury, as well as those with neurodevelopmental disorders like attention deficit hyperactive disorder and autism spectrum disorder. Therefore, my team and I wanted to explore dispersion in the context of cognitive dysfunction in SLE patients. What tests were administered, and how did you carry out these tests? And what significance did these tests play in your findings? For this study, the American College of Rheumatology's neuropsychological battery tests were administered. This battery typically consists of 19 tests and are clustered in six domains, as we mentioned earlier. The tests are administered and scored by psychometrists. Then a statistician generates normalized scores for the psychologist then to interpret and confirm a diagnosis. For our study, we used 17 of the 19 tests for statistical reasons and we weighed the tests equally in the generation of the score. In other words, we did not place more importance on one test over the other. But you will see in the results that some tests contributed more to the variability than other tests. So what were your results? What did you learn? And also, were there any surprises among your findings or anything unique within the data? Based on previous literature, we hypothesized that lots of variability and thus a greater dispersion score would be associated with cognitive dysfunction. And what we found was that indeed higher dispersion score, in other words, higher variability in test performance across the neuropsychological battery, was seen in individuals with cognitive dysfunction compared with those who are not classified as having cognitive dysfunction. Specifically, for every one unit increase in our dispersion score, there was nearly a 14-fold increase odds of being classified as having cognitive dysfunction. Since the range of the dispersion score was only around five units, we rescaled the estimate so that for every one-tenth unit increase in the dispersion score, there is a 30% higher odds of being classified as having cognitive dysfunction. We also found that there were some tests that consistently cause a higher dispersion score among the cognitive dysfunction group, one of which was the Ray complex figure test, which represents the visual spatial construction cognitive domain. Something that was not necessarily surprising, but very interesting, were the results of one of our sensitivity analyses, which are the alternative analyses we conduct to test out a different set of assumptions. We found some evidence that there may actually be a third group of cognitive dysfunction. Instead of having a clear-cut binary cognitive dysfunction versus non-cognitive dysfunction, there may be a third heterogeneous indeterminate middle group that we find hard to classify into each category. And this really validates what our team commonly sees in the lupus clinic and what recent studies have been showing. How might your study findings help to improve the care of people with SLE-related cognitive dysfunction? 
First of all, given all of these findings, we now have so many directions of potential future research we may explore, and more importantly, potential applications to the clinical setting that may directly benefit those living with SLE who may have cognitive dysfunction and want a diagnosis. Like I mentioned before, right now, being able to define cognitive dysfunction is difficult. With this new approach, we can interpret the rich clinical data in a new way, which may improve the screening for cognitive dysfunction in people living with lupus and even individuals' own understanding of the neurologic processes that underlie cognitive dysfunction. Also, the approach makes use of a lot of the data that we collect in the clinic and is very practical since it does not require any additional measurements beyond the conventional tests that the individuals have to complete. And the calculation of the statistic, which is the dispersion score, is very simple in itself. What are the study limitations? And are there any cautions that must be taken into consideration when interpreting the data? One of the limitations of our study is that the data is coming from a single referral center in Toronto, Canada. With that, our team tends to see more severe patients, and this may not be representative of all SLE patients globally. Another limitation is the fact that we only used one neuropsychological battery to obtain a dispersion score. If we had the luxury of redesigning the study, we would have used another battery for the scoring. But again, this comes with a lot of practical concerns, such as the patient's time and the cost of administering tests. So what are the next steps for this line of research? So earlier I mentioned another screening tool used, the validated computerized ANAM tests. Future studies can look at dispersion within this test battery and see if individuals with lupus are similarly classified as having cognitive dysfunction, according to the neuropsychological battery, or vice versa, using the American College of Rheumatology's neuropsychological battery to generate the score and then seeing if the classification of individuals into the cognitive dysfunction category is consistent, according to the ANAM. Also, referring back to the potential presence of a third indeterminate group, this could lead to future research in determining the different phenotypes of cognitive dysfunction, which could lead to more appropriate management and treatment for those who have severe cognitive dysfunction. Finally, I'm also curious to see how we can look at dispersion scores as a function of time. Because the patients come into the clinic every six months to do their tests, we can look at whether a certain type of dispersion at first visit may be related to more severe cognitive dysfunction in the future. And this could have implications in the early diagnosis of cognitive dysfunction. And again, better management and treatment. Okay, final thoughts? Anything you'd like to add? I would like to acknowledge the Lupus Foundation of America for providing the Gina M. Finzi Memorial Student Summer Fellowship to support me in this research, as well as the various funding agencies that supported this work. I would especially like to acknowledge the patient participants who volunteer their time to make this research possible. And finally, I would like to acknowledge Dr. Tuma and our team that have worked on this project. Well, congratulations on publication of your manuscript, and thank you for taking time to speak with us. Our guest has been Jennifer He, a master's degree candidate in the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Western Ontario. She is a recipient of the Gina M. Finzi Memorial Summer Student Fellowship from the Lupus Foundation of America. Her advisor is Dr. Zahi Tuma, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Toronto. She discussed her manuscript, Insight into Intra-Individual Variability Across Neuropsychological Tests, and its association with cognitive dysfunction in patients with lupus. It's published online in the open access journal, Lupus Science and Medicine, 
and is available for free at lupus.bmj.com. For the Lupus Foundation of America and BMJ, I'm Dwayne Peters. Thank you for listening.